1: Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: From the glow of St. Paul's number one, welcome to another edition of Cabin Country. Give us the time and we'll take you out of the traffic and away from the levee. Let's find the place where the loons call out among the moonlit waves, where the wind sighs among the Norway pines. Pull up a dock chair, have a sip of your coffee, and get a line in the water. This is Cabin Country. Now here's Bjorn Lloydsted, and I'm Fudd Klugman with another woodland escape.
1: All right, I'd like to welcome you back to Cabin Country. We've been on hiatus for a bit with the winter setting in. Fudd, it's been a cold, cold couple of months here.
0: It has. It has. It's been a while, and it's been the same old... Lots of snow, lots of cold, but...
1: A lot of things to look forward to, though. Oh, well, without a doubt. I mean, uh, as the days get longer and the sun keeps shining, the snow starts slowly melting away. Our thoughts, of course, immediately go to... The Tracker. Oh, yeah. The open water of the Gull River and, and whatever lakes and bays may be calling, but uh, we're still kind of in in the heart of it right now. It's uh, We got a good snowfall last week and a short one last night, and I thought, shoot, do I want to shovel snow tonight or at 5.30 in the morning before I take the car back to work?
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, I... I, again, I w- I looked out and I thought, well, I thought
1: we were supposed to get a dusting, not a, not enough to shovel. But yeah, oh uh, yeah, oh yeah. I was even asked by my wife, "Are you going to take out the the snowblower tonight?" And I said, "No, there's snow you snowblower. <laughs> you, you've got to be kidding me!" And about half an hour into the shoveling of what appeared to be three inches of snow, I thought, mm-hmm. "Well, you know, this would have gone a lot faster had I fired up the snowblower." Right. But that said, with Cold nipping at hands, nose, and, and ears. All I can think is, oh my gosh! At some point, this is all going to be gone, and we'll be testing the weight of the line on the, on the reels. I'll be getting a new fishing license. We'll be be north northward bound.
0: That's right. And uh, we were just talking a moment ago, Bjorn and I, about uh, how the tracker is going to live up at the cabin during the summer, and, right. and we're going to invest in a lift. You know, I think part of helping us to decide to buy the boat, my wife and I thought, well, you know, we'll we'll take it up each time we go, but we'll leave it at home because hey, uh we've got plenty of lakes nearby. We can get some friends together. End of
1: 10,000 10, lakes. Here we go.
0: Hang out and do a little fishing, but no, I no, I've decided that when I do my fishing and when I'm on the water, it's up in cabin country. I mean, all of Minnesota is basically cabin country, but in in the Brainerd area, and we're on the Gull River specifically, so looking forward this year to not <laughs> having a new uh, adventure each time I go to put the boat in <laughs> with my van. It's
2: time you got with it.
0: Whether or not I'm going to take it out and, and rely on the kindness of others to uh, help, help pull it out, but... Um, yeah, so looking looking forward to that uh, the nice warm water and the oh, early yes. spring, and we're gonna
1: sunshine and the, the oak leaves, the maple leaves, the aspen leaves.
0: We're gonna get you a new uh, frog jitterbug, I think oh, this year, because yeah. you had so much luck.
1: I did, I did. It was a great season last summer and uh, early fall. Never really caught a bass in my life, and within ten minutes, I suddenly had go. two on and one that. I don't know if you remember, Fudd, but he, he broke the line. Oh, yeah. And then broke the water. He was up <laughs> thrashing around out of the yeah. water with, with my vintage Arbogast yes. you know, jitterbug frog pattern hanging out of the corner of his mouth trying right. to break that thing free and a, and a better-sized bass than the one we ended up keeping that you later ate i, I might, did uh, it was delicious i had yeah. a bite of it myself it was good it was very good i i will say i'm i'm a new man i'm a changed man i would i would eat bass in future and, excellent and that for me is a rarity because there's ocean fish amen i'm all over it I, you've heard this before but for some reason for me the freshwater fish have often tasted fishy i can't yeah. quite put my you know
0: yeah and a lot of people don't like bass even our friend mike leon doesn't care for eating bass. He right. prefers the northern. And, some you know, the bigger ones, if you keep them, they can be a little weedy tasting. Sure. Really, uh, they smell like the lake they River came grass. from. But, uh, that one you caught that lake was pretty Weed. young, Yeah, probably a couple of years old. I don't know. And uh, it, was, it was delicious. And there's something about eating the fish that you catch yourself. Right. It's, right. it's even better. Right. So cooked over an open fire in an iron skillet. Indeed. This is the way we did it, and
1: it was delish. It so. was a tough fishing trip, though. I, I not only lost the vintage Rebel. Oh, yeah. But I lost the uh, the Arbogast Jitterbug Frog. It was a tough, tough yeah, go. and a couple of losses. Two but... or three big rubberized white whales you tossed out, too. Uh, yeah. Quickly <laughs> ingested by what right. we're, we're guessing a large northern pike because you said it hit like a concrete block and was it, suddenly it gone. Just,
0: wait a minute, I think. Boing, it's gone.
1: Yeah. I'm, this is going to be good. And it's gone. So, But the ospreys were trailing us and circling and, and enjoying, hey, maybe these guys will catch something they don't <laughs> right. want. They seem to be on to something. We're going to follow them around. I think we had four osprey flying over us. And yeah. Doing a circle pattern, fighting a little bit, and uh, occasionally diving. It was, it was a good day out. Very good day out, but... All things fishing, and that said, and, and realizing we're not getting outside anytime soon.
0: Not for a while.
1: This takes me back to a trip I made with uh, Captain Dave Stricker, who is now on the board. I hope I haven't just blown his cover or upset <laughs> anyone at the Minnesota Commercial Fishing Museum, but he is he's a proud member of the Minnesota Commercial Fishing Museum, which is a, a museum, not surprisingly, uh, dedicated to the, the, the pioneers who came over and... Uh, and the locals who'd, who'd been here the whole time who made a living fishing Gichigumi, the big lake they call Gichigumi. The uh, Often going out by themselves or in pairs in an 18-foot fishing skiff with uh, one or two old, you know, well, our guests tonight would refer to them as Janssens. Yeah. Janssens? A pair of 14-horse Janssens with the <laughs> the cord. You wrap the cord and pull it, and, and, oh, uh, yeah. and a couple of... Couple of Old outboards on the back, and, and the kind of gas where you're mixing the oil right into the tank, and and going out and freezing, right? <laughs> you know, in the spring, freezing in the fall, setting these these deep nets with the lead weights or the, the glass weights on the bottom, and, and uh, spending your time out on Lake Superior early morning, um, and hoping you've hauled in quite a quite a, a netful or several filling up that skiff to, to riding very low in the water, bringing it back, and then getting back to work, you know, going to the fish house, cleaning these things out, salting them, putting them in barrels, packing them up, you know, labeling the barrels, and then bringing them to market. And, and uh, where am I going with all this? Well, we have some digitized interviews with an old Tofty area, Hovland area, far, uh, fisherman. Not far, I was going to say farmer. Not at all, <laughs> sir. Fisherman. Um, he was a Norwegian immigrant to uh, the United States, and specifically Minnesota. His name was Helmer Akvik, and he had a very interesting story to tell. Oh, yes. He was both fisherman and, at one point, an attempted rescuer of a neighbor who was also a fisherman, who went out one evening to check the nets, even though he'd been warned against. When the gales of November come slashing, he was going out to check the nets, and was warned not to do it, uh, went out anyway and Helmer's comment was well I'm a man of my word I'm going out and I'm coming back uh-huh. and uh, that will that will be interesting so we have tonight for you this afternoon, this morning, whenever you're listening to it, kind of a piece of vintage cabin country from uh, Helmer Akvik of Hovland, Minnesota uh, kind of near the Tofty area, he was a lifer and uh, he's got some interesting stories about A. the days of commercial fishing on Lake Superior what they would catch, what what they would fill their nets with and what's no longer there anymore, mm-hmm. what's disappeared over the, the time, uh, you know, the decades having passed. Is it, you know, he'll, he'll kind of pine about, is it, is it cycles of fish? Do they just live certain times and then they kind of disappear and then they come back? Or is it, in fact, even back when he was interviewed, I think, in the late 70s or early 80s? You know, this is a fairly old interview. He, too, will say, even back in the day, maybe it's the pollution. Mm. You know, maybe the footprint we've placed on our lakes is is, is doing some damage to the local stocks and, and things that used to be catchable that are no longer around. And uh, so we've got, got some interesting material here. Helmer, I will tell you, sounds an awful lot, FUD, like several of my now sadly deceased relatives from outstate greater Minnesota Um heavy Norwegian brogue. Yeah. And, and I'll mm. warn you listeners at this point, and Fudd, you can join in on this, Helmer's brogue can be so thick at times. It's very hard to understand. We'll have to try to interpret. <laughs> we'll, we'll try to interpret Helmer. We, we speak Akvik, and uh, we'll, we'll try to cut through it for you a little bit. But all in all, it's a pretty interesting interview if you've ever thought about what would it be like to be fishing solo at 5 o'clock in the morning on Lake Superior, you know, three miles out from shore in... Uh, 36 degree water you know wow oil skins and and wool mitts on your hands and all these kinds of things and the big rubber boots and um hoping the weather keeps keeps kind i guess we could say what cracks me up right out of the gate here fudd is he's talking about being on a he calls it a wind yammer wind yammer it's a wind yammer and some of the the interviewee he's the interviewee, excuse me, but the interviewer is saying, a what? You know, wind yammer, and then he makes a joke, I oh, mean the Christian you know, which was this big Norwegian tall ship. They love to bring the tall ships into Duluth Harbor every now and again. have these huge kind of conventions of three to four masted sailing ships, and they all come together at certain times of of, of the year and um, certain, certain years of the decade. You know, it's not an annual event, but... Boy, I remember all my Norwegian farmer relatives talking about how cool might go to Duluth to see the Christian Raddick. <laughs> I sat in so many farm yeah. living rooms you know, watching my folks drink coffee. Oh, the Christian Raddick's going to be here. <laughs> oh, i got to go see the Christian Raddick. Helmer talks about it, too, with, I felt just a hint of disdain. Oh But yeah? who knows? Who knows? It could be interesting. Maybe without further ado, welcome back to Cabin Country. We're glad to join you again, and perhaps you'll enjoy hearing these tales of yesteryear from Norwegian-American immigrant, fisherman, and rescuer would-be Helmer Okvik.
3: Well, yeah, we'll put it
4: up.
3: So now and
4: we'll just talk for a
3: few minutes.
4: Where's please. where's the microphone? Uh,
3: It's right, it's right
4: in, in here. We, I didn't no. bring the other yeah, microphone. Oh, here, right here, yeah. Yeah, so I just put that in here. Well. Well, we start with the beginning. Yeah.
2: You see, I'm foreign born, I'm an old region. So I sailed for three years on uh, Windjammer. wind On the
3: what? Wind, wind,
2: wind Windjammer, oh, oh, You see, I'm only on calendars now. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Is see. that the one they brought into Duluth? It wasn't as big as that, no, but uh, that was uh, a schooner. Mm-hmm. No, that was uh, not as big as that. No. You mean they said uh, Christian relic? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. She lost her sale on the way
4: back. That's what I heard, yeah. And they <laughs> they tried
2: to uh, collect money, but they, they Norwegians, they are richer than uh, <laughs> anyone now. I don't see why they should uh, donate uh, $60,000 for sale. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I came to this country and I roomed around in the southwestern part of the state uh, for quite a few years, you see. I was a hired man on the farms, even. that is where I met Christine. Is
3: it Christine, your wife's name? Huh. Your wife's name is Christine?
2: Yeah, uh-huh. Christine. Yeah. And then in 1924, I took a notion to. Yeah, in true, but I uh, roomed around there I worked on a farm, three, four years, you see. Then I started painting, painting barns and churches. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, <laughs> kind of a What year would that be? Oh, that would be in 20, 21, two, three. Oh, yeah. You see, in 24, I took a ocean in the water to the West Coast. That was in 1924. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then I got on a hollywood schooner there. That was a rough life. A halibut schooner? Yeah. yeah. How long did you do that? Oh, I was a uh, seasoned there. Uh, I was a whole season there. Uh, uh, I had no sleep. No? A lot of fog, you know, out in the Pacific. We went three weeks out to, well, the Pacific. We went out to a bank they called Telemark Bank. That was the halibut party. Telemark? Telemark uh, Bank, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah.
4: Not
2: Telemark.
3: Telemark.
4: Oh, M-O-O-K. Oh, Telamook. M-O-O-K. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And I was a rough life, all right. Well, you and must have been in your twenties then,
2: huh? Uh, yeah, more than that, I guess. Twenty-three, twenty-three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that other day we had ice in the hole there, and i said uh, three, four weeks out, you see. No refrigeration, uh, refrigerator on the ship. What ice in the hole, and they iced The ice half Halibut, you see. Oh yeah. Then we right. went into the boat. and there was once we couldn't cross the Columbia bar. Remember that, plain day? You see the bar there that breaks, you know, when them big swells come in from the ocean. Mm hmm. How that was up. We had to tie ourselves in the bunks. We'd thrown out, you know, when we we're trying to get a little Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to and do that, that Billy. And the worst, you see, we had two Norwegians. There was a crew, six, seven men under the, the schooner, you know. It was a big ship, you know, there was 90, between 90 and 100 feet. Captain's name was Janssen. And these said two <laughs> Norwegians. They were so seasick that it was pitiful. Yeah, Out in the ocean there, I ordered from the captain to carry him out on deck to get uh, an orange into a man and get little sunshine on uh, I thought, we thought they were going to die. I oh never right. seen anything like
4: that. I didn't think Norwegians could get seasick. Oh,
2: <laughs> And the one um, of one, um, he swore, he swore vote that if he ever set the rich shore and set his foot on the dock in, the, in Astoria, never again were we going to see him. <laughs> 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 see him on a, on a boat, on the ocean. Mm-hmm. I never seen him around the boats anymore, so he must have kept his word.
4: Maybe he got to be a farmer, huh? I don't know
2: what became <laughs> <out> of him. <laughs> um, I came back here, you know, in 25. And, and then I had a friend that used to fish uh togsail out of the loot when the bottom of was plentiful. He fished what? Uh, herring. fish oh, herring. herring, yeah. He induced me to come up here, you see, on the shore. Mm-hmm. And we spent a bit. we stationed at Cascade, or Eagle Bay, rather. I yeah, it, the and then I got a notion I was coming down here to Hobden. In '27, I moved there to Mm. Lived in a log house there in the bay. It was torn down now long ago. Mm-hmm. So we fished here for. Then the depression you know. Right. The Great Depression, '29, mm-hmm. '30. I started to pick up fishing. Was good, you know, from '27 and. And 30. Then it all started, you know. Mm-hmm. The herring got the sky high, you know, racing on meat. And <laughs> Do
4: you remember wh- how much a pound of herring was back there in about 1930?
2: Oh, <laughs> You couldn't sell them. 75 cents for the 100 pounds.
3: When you came to Holland, did you live here? Is this the no, only no. place you've lived? I live
2: In Chicago Bay, right in the Bay. <clears throat> I lived in a the log house there for quite a while.
4: He built this in 1930, so yeah, that's all. Yeah, 3031
2: or something. But during the war, that was a good times. you see, but 17 cents a pound for the herring. <laughs> there was one night I made 150 dollars on herring.
4: In 1940-something.
2: Uh, yeah. Well, it was after 40, 40. Yeah, you know what was two. going on for the while.
4: Yeah, I sat smiling. Any trout
2: fishing then? Oh, yeah, yeah. Trout was good. We used to get... 700 pounds, and he brought a big dispensary with fried chicken Larson. Oh, yeah. Oh, we live good. <laughs> yeah.
1: I can't lie to you, Fudd. My Akvik at this point is a little rough. I, I swear he just said, I worked then at a dispensary with fried chicken Larson. <laughs> now, and I'm not trying to poke fun at Larson. Helmer here, but it is very much like talking to a couple of my great uncles. Yes. There were times where I would just sit there as they drank coffee and ate cookies, and I'm thinking, I am missing a I lot of. That. This is family history, I think, but <laughs> what is it? You know. <laughs> so he worked in a dispensary for Fried Chicken Larson, and at this point, the Cabin Country Broadcast is putting out an alarm. You know, an all call. If anybody knows a Fried Chicken Larson or recalls or maybe i got it completely wrong. This I don't know. Well, is a person place yeah, or thing? Exactly. Right. And 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 i don't know, fud. I I thought it was interesting to hear him talk there briefly about Tillamook Bank. Oh, fishing yes. for halibut in the old vessels without without refrigeration. They had to fill a hole with ice. Oh, and yeah. uh you know, you know, Tillamook is a town in Oregon, right on right on the Pacific coast. Okay. And uh Home of Tillamook High School, the fighting cheesemakers. Oh. And I'm not making this up. Really? I I drove. The the whole town smells like cheddar (laughs) cheesemakers. It's unbelievable. Um, But it sounds like he had a a crazy time fishing halibut. A couple of Norwegian sailors who were so seasick, he tried to get them up on deck. and Get get them into the sun and some fresh air and see the horizon. I don't know if you've ever enjoyed seasickness or not, but if you're down in the hole under decks and people are getting seasick. That's that's like rule one. Get up on deck. See the horizon. That will uh, hopefully help you oh, okay. counteract that seasick feeling. And, and I like that story about the one guy swore if he got back to town and he'd get on the dock he'd never never put to never sea again. And, and he didn't. He lived up to his words. So. What, um, have you heard anything thus far, Fudd, that kind of... Well,
0: what what did he say? He earned 75 cents for 100 pounds?
1: 100 pounds of herring. Of herring. So he said he couldn't sell it. I mean, it was, was kind of giving it away, and then the demand wasn't. The fishing was good during the Great Depression, but the pricing was bad, and then the prices just went through the ceiling yeah. when the World War began because the soldiers needed meat. Soldiers okay. and sailors needed meat, and herring would, would fill that bill. So right. suddenly he was making a lot of money. What did he say? One night he made $150 selling herring, yeah.
0: which I bet at the time. Was oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? Well, compared to 75 cents. Yes. Yes. yes.
1: <laughs> wow. So things were getting better things were getting better. That's excellent.
0: So, and I heard, maybe we'll hear more about this. He built the house that they were being interviewed in in 1930?
1: Right. It's 3031. He built the house that they were, the interviews were being held in his permanent residence prior to that in, I think he was saying Chicago Bay. Did that sound accurate? Yeah, I think so. He had been living out of a a log house he built. Oh, okay. And uh, so, man, you know, again, talk about that generation of people that just did everything. If anything was going to get done, they did it. Right. You know, he moved to Hovland, built his own home. Yeah. And then went out fishing every day and made 75 cents for 100 pounds of fish. And... Right. Oh, man. And you know, oh, you, wow. I,
0: I, I can't imagine that he complained. Probably not. He just kind of, well, yeah,
1: that's the way it is. It's a living. Right. will just uh, wait until tomorrow see what happens then maybe we'll get better prices and maybe the maybe the catch will be bigger unbelievable
0: well we're overdue for a sponsor break uh, but don't go away we've got plenty more helmer akvick coming up right after this
1: GSPN is proud to announce the holiday recording session that's bound to become a holiday favorite for the whole family do you hear what i hear the cabin country holiday album Bud Klugman and Bjorn Lloydstad are joined by YouTube sensations Billy and Johnny as they offer up their favorites from the season of peace on earth and goodwill towards all. You'll hear such seasonal offerings as
3: Simply building a deck with a a screen and porch
1: The ode to turning on the water at the cabin during winter break. After in the army freeze and cranked up the heat Let Let it flow, let it flow, let it flow Find the hunter in his stand
0: to his pal. Do you hear what
3: I hear? Buck
0: who's in the leaves, distant pal.
1: Do you hear what
3: I hear? The
1: rollicking holiday tune keeps them twisting near the eggnog, Aluminum Dock.
2: Aluminum, aluminum,
4: aluminum, aluminum dock. Aluminum, stand 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 aluminum, aluminum
1: place, place. Oh, oh. The favorite of old blue eyes fans everywhere.
0: Oh by gosh, by golly, It's the last of my frozen walleye. Tasty pheasants and Christmas presents. And pheasants, 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 pheasants,
2: pheasants and
1: pheasants. But Bjorn's seasonal ode to Gull River Bass Fishing. Which rolled all my favorite bay. Lake, Lake Weeb's we, 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 rear's near the top. The
0: prop got won a million times, and soon a more stop.
3: <laughs> jingle bells, jingle all the way. And a holiday
1: oh. classical favorite from Peter Tchaikovsky, Mallard Dance. <laughs> Holidays only come once a year, but you can keep the embers glowing all year long with Do You Hear What I Hear, the Cabin Country Holiday Album. Available on all your favorite MP3 sources, as well as on CD and cassette and 8-track tape at all Fiber Stop stores in the Cabin Country area. And don't forget, they make great Christmas gifts for that outdoors person in your family.
3: Keep it down!
0: Well, let's continue on and see what yeah. more uh,
4: Helmer, what has, Helmer to, has to tell us. Sure. Yeah. Well, now, uh, did you smoke any fish here? Yeah, for
2: my own use, yeah. Oh, yeah. I never smoked uh, commercially. hmm No. You see, when the trout fishing went on the brink, and then the tourists, they uh, they quit coming, you see. Uh, much right. mean for the commercial.
4: Right. Yeah,
2: so then I roomed around here for, until 55, and I went to Alaska.
3: Hmm.
2: Oh, really? I didn't know oh, that. Oh, uh, yeah. Hmm. In fact, I was skipping a boat there, hmm. uh, Captain, what they call him, you see. Mm-hmm.
3: What kind of a boat
2: there? Oh, that was a big one. Uh, there you? in the channel, there's in the Lynn Channel, Sakai Salmon. because we was out in the ocean, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I came back here, and then it was all finished up uh, herring. Herring went on the brick. Oh, here is a few herring. Last summer I got uh, two herring. Can you beat that? I had enough. <laughs> no. We didn't get enough to eat, because uh. we usually eat the or But in that little, I heard the people get uh, some siskos. Uh, that was my specialty. And uh, they are gone. Discusica. Nobody knows the cause of it, no. How about so the Menominee? Are Not much, though, but uh, you can get enough to eat. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows the cause. Some blame it on the taconite Some blame it on the smelt. Mm-hmm. And we don't know. I got another philosophy. Because 70 years ago, 80 now, the blue fins. Oh, they were yeah, they were a the fish about that made about three pounds.
4: Yeah.
2: Oh yeah, were good. Oh. Yeah, there is no fish compared with them, to my taste. And they were plentiful. There was no smelt in the lake. There was no pollution. There was nothing. They disappeared.
4: Yeah. Well that's a herring, isn't it?
2: No, it's a no, no, they they they, they, they don't be fooled, they call this a uh, herring bluefin. That ain't bluefin or that was a special fish here.
4: Different than a whitefish or a herring? Yeah,
2: yeah, they were a different species.
4: Hmm.
2: So there's nothing to blame uh, either pollution or smelt or... and the herring, they went the same way now. Nobody knows.
3: Hmm.
2: I suppose I- they outlived that, uh, <laughs> that cycle or something. Well, yeah. it's hard to know. When what I first started
3: know,
2: I here in know, I came in '27, like I say, I had cisco rigged there. There was a different species, they called them long yo. They were different than they here that came on now, later on. Oh, they were brandy full here 10 years hmm. back.
4: What did they call it?
2: A long yo cisco, yeah. Oh. And they said that die out now, there was a different species, different... Hmm. Me and my grandson, uh, we uh, done good. We had to sort them, of course, in 200-pound barrels. And, and we got uh, to 27 to $30, 30 dollars a barrel. So that was good for the mm-hmm. time being.
4: <clears throat> so you were in Alaska in 55, you oh. said. How long did you stay up there then? For oh, a season. One season, no. But you never sold this house? Oh, well, no, no. Well, then it wasn't too long after that when you came back here and got in that big storm. Yeah, yeah.
2: no, it wasn't too long, no. You know, and we'll cut in
1: here, uh, Fudd, real quickly, just kind of touching base with some of the the fish species Helmer was talking about that were a common catch for many, many years on Lake Superior and then just kind of dried up. You know, he was talking about catching herring. Right, You know, and those 200-pound barrels of herring and how they were fetching 75 cents at a throw or whatever. The war years where the prices went through the ceiling, but then the herring sort of vanished. Kind of went pot, you know? Yeah. And he talked about bringing in the nets and having two, two. herring. He couldn't get enough <laughs> to eat, you know. Yeah. Um, I think I heard him talk about a species he liked very much that he said went about three pounds apiece called bluefin. Oh, yeah. And he said it was a specific species, not like the herring, different. And he said, you know, they tasted very, very good. It was unique. He said there was nothing, in his estimation, if you picked up on this, that, that, you know, he felt there was nothing better out of Lake Superior as far as taste.
2: It's delicious.
1: He loved those blue fins, and then they kind of ran their course, and he was blaming it on one of two things. He said either pollution from the taconite industry.
2: Taconite. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, Great Lakes iron ore production and, and some of that just ending up in the lake either through, you know, uh, I guess spills at the, at the taconite, taconite loading areas or perhaps even some of the Great Lakes shipping, you know, disasters, ships sure. going down and, and right. taconite ending up all over the floor of Lake, lake Superior in the, in the fishing areas. Then he also talked about the smelt yeah. coming in. And how smelt was sort of... I think I get the feeling Helmer's suggesting that smelt are kind of an invasive species and have crowded out some of these others.
0: And, and didn't he uh, say there was a period when there were no smelt?
1: No smelt at all, and he was having a great catch of the blue fins and the herring, and then uh, the smelt show up, and suddenly he's just not catching either anymore to any, huh. any situation. One piece I, in my... Wisdom accidentally edited out. Sadly, Fudd was—he talked about the the trout and how the tourists would come oh, sure. to fish trout, and they'd they'd catch, you know, hundreds of pounds of trout. And then he said, and the then the lampfish arrived, and the trout dried up. And lampfish. And lampfish. I believe by lampfish he was pertaining to the sea lamprey, which is an invasive species uh-huh. uh, to the Great Lakes, and they they will attach themselves to the of specifically lake trout, the bigger fish, okay. and just slowly draw sustenance off these fish and by default end up killing the host fish. And, uh, you know, lamprey is considered good eating, if you will, in Europe, huh. and European stocks are declining, and they're fretting the disappearance of the lampreys in places like Spain and Portugal. Um, but here in the United States, you know, on the Great Lakes... People aren't real happy to see the sea lamprey, and uh, it's it's decimated some of the larger fish in Lake Superior. So away went Halmer's trout fishing as the the lampfish came in and, and took them away. <laughs> he was talking ciscos as well, and how they seem to be not quite as easy to find. And then there was a, a a breed or species of cisco he was talking about. Fud and I I can't lie I. My Helmer decoder ring is not coming up with that particular, he's, he kept putting a long O, long nose, long yoke, I'm not sure what he was saying, long something cisco. you call them long yoke. And it was a different species of cisco, and they were plentiful for a while. I got the feeling they'd they'd passed away as well, they'd moved on, and were not, not as not as plentiful. Anyway, lots of Great Lake species and how the lake has changed, and is it taconite? Is it pollution? Is it invasive species, you know, brought in and is ballast that's dumped out from these freighters that come from other parts of the world? It's hard to say.
0: Right. It's hard to say. And that was, did he, was he specific on, like,
1: when they
0: kind of died out?
1: Well, I when... I, I was having a hard time getting a grasp on when that was. I was thinking he was talking about, like, the late 40s, 50s, things began to kind of vanish, 50s through the early 60s just not sure. catching these things as much anymore he and his grandson going out and right coming up with two herring yeah. in the nets you know no bluefin and how things had changed and there's smelt everywhere but you can't find you know and i got the i'm i'm picking up from helmer's discussion here that smelt is not one of his f- favorite fish Right. <laughs> kind of kind of a fisherman's enemy. A uh, trash fish, if you time. will. A junk fish. My, our fathers would have beaten them on the sides of the boats until they were dead and thrown them out for the gulls. But uh, I, I know a lot of Minnesotans who love the smelt run yeah, go up in the... net smelt, and just, the oil fires are going. and Wow. Bellying up, as it were. But...
0: Let me see if... Uh, hold on a second. I want to try to pull off that some Dave Basanko. Uh, reference here on the shelf on on some of these fish species. I did find the sea lamprey. It's described as having an eel-like body, round, sucking disc mouth, seven paired gill openings, dorsal fin extends to the tail. It's native to the Atlantic Ocean. The first specimen was found in Lake Superior in 1936, and then soon after, the lake trout and whitefish populations declined, but... Apparently control measures have reduced sea lamprey numbers, allowing native fish populations to slowly recover. So yeah, as you said, it was a kind of a parasitic right. um, invasive. I also found the Cisco.
1: Dave tells us what about the Cisco foot? What does he say?
0: The largest white fish in North America and until the mid nineteen fifties, a significant part of Minnesota's commercial fishery. Well, there we go. Along with Walleye, Lake Whitefish are considered by many to be the finest food fish from Minnesota waters. Now you wow. were just explaining to me how these right. whitefish yeah, yeah. fries happen. What is that?
1: Well, there's there's into? two things. I, I you know, Captain Dave likes to go up to the Minnesota Commercial Fishing Museum and, sure. and spend time and he was he was a construction guy for time up on up on kind of the Duluth Range area and going north alongside the lake, uh, lakeshore communities. And he talked about all these different places that will sell smoked fish. Right. Kind of a Great Lakes tradition. You know, lakeside vendors smoking their own fish. And uh, it's usually whitefish. Uh So, smoked whitefish, very, very common. Or Cisco's, I guess you could say. Okay. I swear I've got a buddy who, the, the gent who loves to catch snapping turtles. Oh. And enjoy all eighteen different kinds of meat <laughs> off a snapping turtle, right? And he, yeah. He talked. He, I, 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 I kid you not, Fudd, I, I know he refers to these fish as tulabies, huh? Kind of, I, and I, I dare say, more of a um, like a Wisconsin term for the white fish. I think it's the same thing. Someone will probably get back to us, and Don will field some ornery phone calls, and he doesn't know what he's talking about. Don, get him off the air. <laughs> but yeah, a second piece that's very commonplace along the Great Lakes shore is something called a, a fish boil, uh-huh. and usually centered around whitefish, and just a quick piece here off off my handy dandy, computer in my hand, my awesome. my fabulous phone. A fish boil, is a culinary tradition in areas of Wisconsin along the coastal Upper Great Lakes, where you'll find large Scandinavian populations. Fish boils enjoy a particularly strong presence in Door County port wing in port washington wisconsin while it involves a huge cauldron full of fish potatoes corn all these kinds of things and then at some point during the cooking i know that i believe it's kerosene is added to the cooking fire under the the cauldron (laughs) and it just you know explodes in flames and the pot just boils over you know all the excess water is, is kind of blasted out of that that cauldron and the white fish, the, the, the rise in heat and everything, they're, they're efficiently cooked and, and ready for the table, and people, almost like a crawfish boil down in New Orleans, the tables covered in newspaper and plates and salt and butter, and, you know, sit down and eat your fill of, <laughs> of Cisco's slash white fish, in this ready? case fresh, and apparently quite tasty. I've never, I don't believe I've ever had it. How about yourself, Fud? Are you...
0: No I haven't Connoisseur of no, I of not fish. I'm, I'm wondering if anything is yelled when the pots are set ablaze because it reminds me a little bit of the it's a uh, traditional cheese dish in, in in Greek culinary tradition the uh, you set the plate on fire and you yell like opa so I wonder if
1: there's something like
0: Cisco! Wait a minute, that's, that's an old uh,
1: show. Oh, Cisco Kid! Yes. Ah, yes, oh, yes. Suddenly, but, um, suddenly the Cisco Kid makes it appear. Right. Perhaps a, a westward-looking cowpoke comes walking out, <laughs> joins you at the table, tucks in his uh, neckerchief around his, his shirt, and bellies up to some whitefish boiled. I'm told it's quite an event, and it's it's a community event where people come together and, and do this kind of thing. But I always wondered, kerosene, wouldn't that add kind oh. of a curious aroma to the yeah well vicinity, it must just but, uh,
0: must just burn away
1: it, you know? oh i think it burns off quickly and and the, the like i said the the water in that cauldron kind of boils over like a geyser and then it's time to eat
0: you know what bjorn this sounds like it would be a good cabin country podcast episode
1: it would be We'd it have would to, be you know
0: look up a place to head in door county wisconsin and absolutely and see if we can sit in on one port of
1: these. wing have some smoked fish and then as you're belching a little smoked whis- whitefish or cisco, or, or <laughs> yes. wisco, if you'd rather. I- <laughs> sit down at a fish boil and tuck in a bit of tablecloth into our shirts and get ready to go. Right. And see what it's all about. I. It's supposed to be good. Well, Whitefish is supposed to be very tasty. They're I still catching them.
0: I don't doubt it. I would like to try it. Being a fish. Still you'll catch you know, them. No, you're a, you're an like aficionado, Fudd. Aficionado,
1: no, yeah. No, no questions asked. Would love to try it. A lousy pun in there as well.
0: We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll hear Helmer Akvik's incredible rescue attempt of his neighbor in the icy November waters of Lake Superior, right after this. Mitz Coffee, the purveyors of fine drinks that brought you Laughing Goose Dark Roast and other fine coffees are now proud to announce the arrival of...
1: Thundermug Morning Jolt. Thundermug is a medium roast coffee blend that will not shock your taste buds or leave you with that all too familiar strong coffee breath. But at three times the normal caffeine levels, Thundermug will flush away all the morning cobwebs and make your brain swirl to life. A perfect morning blast to jet you into your day. If you don't have the time for the multiple refills that many coffee lovers require, a single cup of Thunder Mug will prime you for a day that might not allow for trips to the coffee maker or anywhere else for that matter. No nonsense, no refills necessary. Thundermug.
0: Thundermug is proudly offered by Mitts Coffee, the brew that flew with the great Northwest. It's time now for another literary moment when we read a small portion of great classic literature embellished with just a touch of cabin country. Listen now as Bjorn reads from Ernest Hemingway's popular short story, The Old Man in the Bucket Mouth.
1: I'll just steer south and west, he said. A man is never lost on the chain, and it is a long, narrow lake. It was on the third turn across the south of Daggett Lake that he first saw the fish. He saw him first as a dark shadow that took so long to pass under the boat that he could not believe its length. No, he said. A bucket mouth can't be that big. But he was that big, and at the end of this circle he came to the surface only three yards away. The man saw his tail out of the water. It was higher than a big hunting blade and the drab military green above the clear blue water. It raked back and as the fish swam just below the surface, the old man could see his huge bulk and the black mottling that marked him. His dorsal fin was down and his huge pectorals were spread wide. On this circle, the old man could see the fish's eye and the two gray panfish that swam hurriedly away from him. From the weeds along the shore, a tall blue heron began to take notice. The old man was sweating now, but from something else besides the sun. On each calm, placid turn the fish made, he was gaining line, and he was sure that in just two more turns, he would have a chance to get the jitterbugs set. "'But I must get him close, close, close,' he thought. "'I mustn't try for the gills. I must get him right in the mouth.' Be calm and strong, old man, he said. On the next circle, the fish's back was out, but he was a little too far from the boat. On the next circle, he was still too far away, but he was higher out of the water, and the old man was sure that by gaining some more line, he could have him alongside. He had rigged his white plastic lure long before, and its coil of light gauge test was in the reel three of knots. The fish was coming in on his circle, now calm and beautiful-looking, and only his great tail moving. "'The old man pulled on him all that he could to bring him closer. "'For just a moment the fish turned a little on his side. "'Then as he straightened himself and began another circle. "'I moved him,' the old man said. "'I moved him then.' "'He felt faint again now, "'but he held on the great fish all the strain that he could. "'I moved him,' he thought. "'Maybe this time I can get him over and into the landing net. "'Pull, hands,' he thought. "'Hold up, legs. Last for me, head. Last for me.' "'You never went.' This time I'll pull him over. I'll win the Whitefish Chain Largemouth Contest this year, no doubt.
0: Next time on the Cabin Country Literary Moment, Bjorn reads from Edgar Allan Poe's hair-raising, The Fall of the Hunting Shack of Usher.
1: And now back to Bjorn Lloyd Stead and Flood Klugman in Cabin Country. Now, to kind of get us back to where Helmer's going with this, uh, there's a couple bits here. Uh, 1958,
0: a significant I think, year was a Helmer's very significant
1: life. significant year for Helmer. He, he went out after a neighbor who was warned about, as, as Mr. Lightfoot would say, when the gales of November come slashing. <laughs> there it is. And uh, the big water and the cold water. An interesting sidelight, I was talking to some of the people at the Minnesota Commercial, bleh, let me try that again, Minnesota Commercial Fishing Museum, and a common trait among some of these old fishermen was that none of them could swim, huh. they were non-swimmers, and uh, the way I heard it told to me from some of the good staff at the Commercial Fishing Museum was, what was the point? <laughs> the water's cold. You're in your oilskins. You're out there by yourself. It's you know early, early morning or late in the afternoon. The water is often gone from pleasant to crazy, you know, active, mm-hmm. big, big swells. The the blue skies have turned into you know, thunderheads rolling in, and um, it's cold. Mm-hmm. And you go over the side, you're gonna sink like a rock. Yeah. And, you know, you're in your oil skins and your rubber boots, and uh, all the woolens you're wearing are now heavy with water, and you, <laughs> even if you could swim, good luck, you know. So a lot of these folks couldn't swim and just kind of trusted to Providence and the good Lord that they'd uh, make their way back to shore, and that's just how yeah, it was. So right. in, in an interesting piece, but getting back to the 1958 event, what, what do you know about it, Fudd? What can you tell me here?
0: As you mentioned, he set out... Um, to go find this neighbor of his that foolishly went out uh, in, in in weather that was quickly growing pretty foul, bad, yeah. not good, and um, yeah. yeah, he he went out and risked his own life to to go and find this other, and uh, he was in his sixties.
1: Okay, as I read it and hear it and think about it and talk with people who've heard the story, he was in his sixties, and he knew this younger guy. Now in his 40s, I think, 30s or 40s, had gone out to check his nets and was warned repeatedly not to do it. The weather's bad. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, who would believe it? A Kind of a hard-headed old Norwegian himself. Yeah, whatever. I'm going out to check my nets. There's fish out there. He went and didn't come back in. And Halmer said, all right, well, I'm going after him. Mm-hmm. And as he said, I'm a man of my word. I'm coming back. Yeah, and it turned into what it sounds like quite an evening. Um, he said uh, the doctor was down on the dock with a stretcher <laughs> as when the he coast back, guard, but he, as the coast guard brought him back. Sure, yeah. and a hundred people kind of hooting and hollering, "Oh my goodness!" Down on the dock, and he's saying, "Oh, what's the big deal?" I told you I was coming back. You shouldn't be surprised by all this. Quite a thing. I think he's talking about, you know, ten, fifteen foot swells. Yeah, getting pulled out on the lake. Wow. He'll do a better job. It may take a while, but he'll tell us about this, and it's it's something else. I mean, what he, in that classic kind of, oh shucks, it was nothing, Norwegian fisherman kind of approach, just describes as another day into night out on Lake Superior. My gosh, that would be a life-defining moment for the bulk of us.
2: Christine, what was it? What? When I came up from the lake, 58. There was over 100 people, I guess, on the dock. People went crazy for nothing. Yeah. He had a stretcher. <laughs> he had a stretcher the... Dr. Smith, uh, he's still living. He had a stretcher that he was coming to. <laughs> and I walked by my own power up from the school, from the lunch there. Mm-hmm. So I used to say to this uh, fisherman that I'll always come back, remember that. Yeah. And when he says, you are a man of your word. you back.
4: <laughs> <laughs> How long did you stay out there?
2: Well, I see, I went out to 8 in the morning, didn't I? You know, I spent the night out in the lake and didn't come to the doctor before noon talking
4: all under. Well now, uh, it was a, a young man, Carl Hammer. Uh, how old was he, in his 20s? Or? How old was Carl? I don't know, 27?
3: No, he
2: wasn't that old. He came out from the Navy years before. That.
4: Well, he had his own business.
2: Yeah. He didn't work for you. Oh, no, no. He said no. you know, two times before he went out where he shouldn't go out. And I said, young man, you don't practice the test. Mm-hmm. You see, he'd been on the destroyer in the Navy. I just remember Carl, the uh, life on the destroyer is uh, from 70 to 100 men. That's different when you get in a skiff out here, see, in Indian. You mustn't forget that.
4: Uh, and you just it down. So you saw him that morning before he went out? No. Oh, no, no, you didn't? No. We had an old man
2: staying here. He seemed to know that he went out. He oh, did up. he see-
4: no, he walked, huh. o- he walked over here to uh, look at his car and then
3: he seen Carl's car yeah. was standing here yeah. so then
2: he knew he was uh, going out. Oh, I so see. it was such a storm that nobody would plan to go out. No, yeah. oh. well there wasn't much storm when he went out. Uh, yeah, yeah. He shouldn't have gone out. And he was so careless too, see. You see, I had the uh, old-fashioned outposts, old-time Johnson. And he had this model modern once that you should strain gas, you see. Strain gas? Yeah, he should strain the gas on him, you know. He had a new Janssen motor. You see, I had to have two quarts of oil in my five, five gallon of gas. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, modern wants you see, you shouldn't have more than one quart. Mm-hmm. So he took gas from I can right and left. To, not that I can, you see, but... So that's why his motor stalled, you see. Oh. I almost got him. But he must have been excited, you see, because of uh, panicky when I started to roll down the <coughs> He was just going to set two nuts. Three nuts. If he had let them out, you see, they, he couldn't have drifted very far. He would have been in set till afternoon anyway. You see, when uh, to drag them long nuts, you know, when they get deep in the hole, he couldn't move very fast. Instead of that he went like a chip, you know what. What a terrible skiff, you know, like. Mm-hmm. And he had no, uh, he had no hammer, nothing. He had a pair of, uh, I gloves, you know, the mm-hmm. coldest thing you can have, yellow you know, rice to pick fish in. Oh, they're cold? Cold. Hmm. I tell you, they're cold when you were out in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it
3: was November and it was 14 degrees above, Thanksgiving. above
2: zero. Yeah. There were six, uh, or six about. We had a hammer usually to chop ice. I still, but of course there was no hope for them music. There is something you don't understand. I tried to save them. But you see when it gets that cold, in, uh, towards that time of year in Thanksgiving, the lake smokes. Now you've seen that probably. Oh yeah. Oh, 30, 40 feet high. It's just like fog. You
4: can't mm-hmm. see
0: nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think we have to kind of interpret a little bit of uh, Helmer's description Rogue, of what yeah, was going on.
1: The layman try to explain some of uh, the Akhvik dialect. Yes,
0: uh, we're, we're talking about the motors. The, the, they both have Janssens. Yes. Johnson motors.
1: As I understood Helmer here, Fudd, it sounds like his gas tank's he had to put in two quarts of oil for a full gas tank and that carl had a, a newer type of motor that only required one uh and right. and then he said he'd borrowed his I, I, maybe i misread it here heard him wrong uh, but he had borrowed perhaps carl's or carl borrowed uh, helmer's gas tank and and gone out oh and, only and putting- as a result the motors weren't running properly on on Helmer's gasoline, and okay. as a result, his lines probably froze up and stopped working. The the motors just wouldn't run with the, That's the right, two quarts yeah. of oil, and uh, that was a
0: significant problem. But...
1: Right, and then he also mentioned if if you didn't catch this, that Carl went out with no hammer right. for knocking ice off the boat, and was going to set two lines, and I believe helmer was saying at that point he would have been floating kind of trapped in ice oh yeah that with no motors he would have been he would have been stuck in in the ice in his little skiff and uh so problems with that and and no, with no hammer all he had was rubber gloves and which and are a, cold cold i tell you they're cold right apparently <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that was not the proper set of tools with which to chop ice right and he's, he's just now going into saying he was trying to plot what Carl's course probably would have been drifting. Right. Where okay. he had planned to set nets. He seemed to know what Carl's usual plan was for net setting. And he figured that's where this guy will be. And I'm going to go out and try to find him because if his engines died, which they must have done. And he, he has no capacity for knocking ice off the, the skiff. He's going to be drifting. I, yeah. I think he said like a chip. Like a, like a chip. Oh. Like a chip of wood or something. You know, he's just floating out there in the pack ice, kind of drifting away. Also, he mentioned that it was six degrees above zero. Right. And
0: extremely foggy. It, it creates smoke, as the he says. The lake smokes. 30 yes. to 40 feet high. You can't see anything. can't see anything. So. So this younger man is out with his... The ice is freezing in the bottom of his boat. Nothing to break it up. His motor's... Frozen, you know, the gas doesn't have the proper amount of oil in it, and he's just drifting like a chip. Yes, on on the waves, and then and then, Helmer takes off in his
1: even keeled way to go after him, where he thinks he would probably find him. And yeah. and I fud for one love having. The back and forth between Helmer and his wife, Christine, is <laughs> <Yes. It's, laughs> pretty priceless. He couldn't have been ever. that young. He served in the Second World War. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I won't lie to you, Fudd, there's a few things Helmer will say from time to time where I would love a decoder ring or something because yeah. I have no idea what he just said. But
0: Yeah, we can't quite do a visual caption uh, for this being a audio podcast here. But we can cut in like we do here and try to interpret at least how we've heard it. Correct. Helmers, Jansons, and a hammer and rubber gloves and and the smoke thirty to forty feet high on the water. Well,
1: should we should we
2: return to let's, the
0: Let's continue
1: the tale of Helmer
0: with the adventure as All he right. sets out.
2: So I went right after where I thought he'd be, coming five, six, seven miles out, I suppose. Uh, I picketed motor drifted that far at least. Then I got troubled with my motors. I froze up. Hmm. Ah, there was no picking. Why I did they freeze f- up on you? The gasoline. Gas? Yeah. One thing I wasn't prepared for, I should have a can of heat, you see. Yeah. I would have been all right. Then I was stuck. I drifted myself, looking like chip, you know. When I got out there, oh, probably twelve, fourteen 14 miles. And the sea got big, you see. Oh, I got one blanket over me, you see. And uh, the skiff was quarter full of water. Start bailing before it froze, you see. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: So I drifted and I drifted. There was a jet that flew over me. It flew right over me. It was sent out from Finland, you see. They were searching for us. Oh, yeah. I must have been 50 miles out in the lake. 50 miles? 50 miles. Wow. And the skiff, you know, the mullet the pounding and it started leaking bad, you know, crap mm-hmm. <laughs> bottom. So I piked down for the night and drifted and drifted. <laughs> and in the morning, <laughs> I never forget that, everything was froze. My mittens were froze. Funny, my hands were worn. Huh. Really? Was I pulling the mittens inside, yeah, sure.
4: Hmm. Think they are you numb? You don't know
2: what bold
4: huh? You think they are just numb?
2: No. Uh, it's all right on the fingers, for example. Hmm. And uh, see, the started rope, you know, the, there ain't a the pole start on that. You have to to lay the rope, you know, in the groove of them the old timers, you oh, see. Oh, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And that was frozen. It was bigger than my finger here, you see. That so I had to, when the sun came up, I was waiting for it. I said, I took one strand off, see. so it's easy to unravel one strand, and then I got to start it. That whole time I did all, I started. Started in the morning. Yeah. So um, I run and I run until she got out of gas.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I thought I'd seen uh, there's a fisherman uh, east of here. Yeah, had heading that's am still facing head. The wind Madrid are going down, as they change it to west, southwest. Mm-hmm. I said thinking, what, what should I do? Take uh, I had drop a rubber jacket on, take it off and cut the <laughs> and cut the back off, and and then wrap it on the hand so I could uh, grab the horse. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that would have been a good idea. First I thought I ain't going to row under the heavy clunk. I had many old, time. I got 17 of the old timers, down there. 17? Yeah. motors of course, and then old timers.
4: Oh, do you really? Yeah,
2: yeah. Huh? So, there was no sense rowing on that thing, so I took and tossed overboard. <laughs> yeah, I seen the bubbles after. <laughs> that won't save my life, so I, yeah. so... I was just going to take the rubber jacket up. No, it was uh, oilskin. And here came the Coast Guard lunch. Jacky, huh. beat that, yeah. I wanted to go back, to see, and look for him, of course there was no use then, but the Coast Guard uh, skipper there, he says, no, no. I was still kind of big, see. And I lost the skiff. See, them kids, uh, they knew you no know, seamanship. They tried to lasso the skip, you see, to tow it, they tore the gun off and <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> lost it. Is so I right? said, yeah, I said, forget it. <laughs> so it sank right out there then? Yeah. <clears throat> I landed in uh, Two Harbor Hospital. That's Not that I doing. needed it uh, exactly, but my two thousand and toes. Uh, you know why? No. Because when I got out in that big sea, you see an ice and spray that uh-huh. froze immediately. You couldn't... Oh, I tell you, it was an ordeal. So I had to crawl on my knees in there to chop the ice. Else you would have built up ice in no time and you would have capsized and knew that. I had uh, hip boots. Don't you think that they split right over the knee? Oh, is there? Right? When I crawled, you know, on the... And lucky I discovered it in time. There mm. was water in the skip then, you see. Mm-hmm. I discovered it just in time, see, to save my foot. You see, if I gotten back to the water froze in the night, absolutely. Would have lost yeah. the foot maybe.
4: Sure. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. But
2: well, what was going through your mind out there? Oh, no. <laughs> not really. I've been in danger so many times. There was a nice uh, scenery there at night. The moon was so beautiful. (laughs) You knew you would make it? Yeah. I made it just in time. Because at night, the evening, the Thanksgiving evening, I tell you, it started, oh, it started cold. It Mm. was below zero down on trees, often Mm. wind, the last of the two weeks. Oh, Mm. that was rightful. So if I hadn't come in that part, I probably wouldn't have made it. Um, how far out were you when the... I coast can't really out? tell, you see. On the gasoline, I must have been 40, 50, 40, 50 miles out. 40 in a way. Okay, but when they picked you up, how far out were you? No, not know. That was a couple of miles from shore.
4: Were you drifting towards the shore as you were going? No, no. no I, I was not the
2: sure. I had to... The wind must... Live. South, southwest, like I say, and the wind came kind of askew, but I would have had easy to wing, you see, to Reservation Bay or to Portie, Grand Portie.
4: See, the Southwest is coming across from that way. Yeah. And then he'd have to just angle the boat in slightly. He'd have missed Hovland, but yeah. he would have gone up about five miles or ten miles up. I in the was shoreline. in the
2: hospital about two days. And shortly after, the, the fellow from Leeds, the I came. Mm-hmm. He wanted the story. I said, "This is nothing as you see, routine that we do to help each other." You see. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, about three years afterwards, then it came. You know, in those readers, I yes. That's that story that yeah, exaggerated much, you know. Yeah. You know that, yeah. yeah, I'm an honest man, either, but I tell you myself, and I've it was tough enough, all right. I'll tell there that night. Mm-hmm. It was no yoke <laughs> No, I got a medal. Huh? Oh? And five hundred dollars uh, price you know. <laughs> yeah. Really? Is there? Right? Yeah. I got a letter. I don't know where it came from. It came addressed the Old Man of the Sea.
3: Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> it came here. Believe it or not. Yeah. Yes. yes sir. I got it. Yes. Sir. Oh, I got it. I got a beer case full of letters, you know, from. Well-wish, as you see. Yeah. Uh-huh. Some were religious and uh, wanted to know what I thought about God out there. and uh, mm-hmm. Well-meant, you know, yeah. And money, got money. And that was mm-hmm. From two to ten dollars.
4: What were your religious feelings? Did you have any out there? No, you didn't have much time for that. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, I'm telling the truth. Yeah. Sure. Self-preservation, you know.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, so um, he had motor trouble himself. He drifted out 40, 50 miles? Correct. Or, he, or did he say that he went out about 14 miles and that's when he had motor trouble?
1: That, 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 that's how I understood it. He, he got about 14 miles out and then his motor started causing, causing him grief and the gas freezing up. And he talked at one point about if he'd had a can of heat. Yeah, that would have helped. And I, I, remember my dad was a big proponent of heat when the car got. Oh you know, right. Sitting outside, and you've plugged in the head bolt heater, but uh, you keep the gas tank full, and you you put in a bottle of heat. It's isopropyl alcohol. You know, help yeah. Keep, help keep the gas liquid instead of freezing up. And he didn't have that, so things were getting rough. And it sounded like he was saying one of his motors was the type where you had to put a rope on the top of the engine, pull the rope to get it to to fire. And uh, the rope or or the the line was all kind of frozen and fouled. So he, his gloves were frozen, but his hands were still warm because he had woolen mittens inside his gloves. Right, right. So he was able to take one of the strands apart from the, the kind of pull cord of the engine, and the sun had come up now. And so he managed to get the the one motor running. The other one was still dead. He had so many that he didn't feel too bad about you know, filling with water and bailing, and riding low, and it's just extra weight on the back, and it won't start anyway. So I'm just gonna
0: toss it over Let it go, water. yeah. Watch the bubbles uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: as the motor heads to the deep.
0: And, well, uh, I had sev- I had 17 motors, you know.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Got rid of that extra weight. And he drifted, and he drifted, 40, 50 miles out, and uh, enjoyed the full moon. Right.
1: And Didn't uh, have time to think about religion because (laughs) self-preservation had kicked in. There's (laughs) no time to think about that.
0: But then when he was found, he was just a couple of miles offshore. Right, right. And in a way, it sounds kind of comical because so there was a rescue boat or something. Right. And they got Helmer aboard. And then what happened? They tried to...
1: Yeah, he talked about the young guys on the on the Coast Guard cutter and how they didn't have much seamanship, and they tried <laughs> lassoing his skiff and ripped the gunnel off the skiff. And <laughs> then lost and, the And then lost the boat. So he uh, kept it afloat yeah. all night long. Thanks for nothing. And he, and he was fairly disgusted with the fact that these young bucks had managed <laughs> right. to get him on board but lose his skiff, which he kept, kept uh, afloat all night long amidst... Heavy and seas and ice.
0: Brought him to a hospital in two harbors, which he didn't think was necessary, but he spent two nights <laughs> right. there.
1: And well, I would assume they saved his toes, you know. Probably. Yeah.
0: Well, and afterwards he said he did receive letters and money. He did say $500. A medal
1: and $500 and then a briefcase full of letters from people saying, oh, my goodness, amazing, and offering their religious insight into his being saved and all these things. <laughs> And uh, he even sent him money, um, yeah. you know, upwards of 2 to $10. $10, oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, maybe he could replace that boat or the motor he had to yeah, heft well, over.
1: the one part I really thought was interesting, Fudd, was where he talked about the Coast Guard getting there and getting him on board their vessel. I'm mean, kind of filling in some blanks here. He never actually said as much that they got him on board the, the Coast Guard cutter, but he talked about wanting to go back out with the Coast Guard and trying to find Carl. Oh. And they kept saying, No, 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 the seas are too high. There's no way we'll find him. You you couldn't find him. We you know, they had a yet fly over. Oh, jet yes, jet yeah. came over looking for finding him and whereabouts he was and, and getting out to him. And apparently the Yet couldn't see Carl anywhere. My guess is sadly Carl must have ended up in Davy Jones' locker.
0: I, I think so. And I it, think so. I like how Helmer referred to Lake Superior as the sea.
1: Yes. Was the sea were big, and the sea was coming in, and it was freezing solid, and he had climbed climb forward in his rubber waders and, yeah. and bail out that water and that ice and chip off the ice, and then he, it split right above the knee. And if that wouldn't have happened, he wouldn't have had frozen toes. Right. Thinking about perhaps taking off his oil skin and wrapping it around his hands so he could row. Think how do you row in a semi-frozen bay? You know, how, yeah. how how would that happen? And I think he might have realized, yeah, that's not happening. And it, it, Interesting, too, how the winds had changed on him and they were coming out of the south-southwest. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the interviewer was trying to explain to another interviewer where that might have landed him. You know, he would have missed Hovland, but he would have ended up five or six miles farther north and possibly even Grand Marais. And, mm-hmm. Wow. You know, I'm trying to put ashore... Just crazy kind of stuff that I just it boggles my mind, you know.
0: And how he remained calm. He knew he was going to make it.
1: Yep. yep, He said he was a man of his word. He was coming back, and he came back. For me, it, thought it just comes back to a lake the size of Superior. Right. You know, to be
0: 40, 50 miles out. I mean, oh my goodness. And the... fifty
1: miles out in thirty feet high smoke. <laughs> right. The fog is thirty feet, forty feet high. I can't see anything. I'm in the ice. It's Pitch black, six degrees above zero. Oh man, six degrees above. Why?
0: Would, oh, the then, last thing I'd want to do. And then he said it was a good thing he came back when he did because the next day was below zero. Right. And uh, so I, I yeah, it's, it's hard enough going out to your driveway when it's blowing and just in the teens, and you're wrapped up and can go in for a coffee break anytime. But right. uh, to be out in a, on the water, and that's that's let me tell you that's cool
1: <laughs> let me tell you wow unbelievable so if you hung with us i, I applaud you and yes uh, you know a good many who've heard helmer's tale courtesy our our friends at the uh, minnesota commercial fishing museum thanks to them again for supplying this information and, and uh, allowing us to air helmer's tale that's a Pretty amazing stuff, pretty amazing stuff. Cut from a tougher cloth, without a doubt.
0: Well, perhaps it's time to
1: cast off for the evening. Draw clothes here to some heavy Scandinavian brogue for the evening.
0: (laughs) Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time in cabin country.